Good morning and welcome to Treasures of Faith on this Holy Monday. We have begun Holy Week in the year 2020, and we have been blessed uh, to be led on a Lenten pilgrimage with Father Ben Berinti. Father Ben is the pastor of Ascension Catholic Parish in Melbourne Beach, and we're continuing our pilgrimage today. Father Ben, welcome back. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bill. Um, uh, apologies to Eamon Tobin, but I'm actually the pastor of uh, Immaculate oh, Conception I'm, did Church. Did I say Ascension? You Catholic said Church? Ascension, but but that's okay. It's probably uh, there are some droplets uh, floating around someplace that distracted you. Father or... Tobin offered me twenty dollars to say that. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I don't think he has any intentions of stepping aside. So I'll, I'll just stay where I am on the other side of the. I have a better view than he does anyway. That's so. how you can tell this is a live program for certain. And we're Father Ben. We're blessed to have you. Forgive me for my. Having a senior moment there. Uh, well, we have been on this uh, beautiful Lenten pilgrimage, and it's been such a blessing, I know, to our listeners. And last time, Father, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as you have led this pilgrimage, I've been reminded of all these beautiful images. As I recall, the two times I've been able uh, to have the privilege to go to the Holy Land. Where are we going this week? So today our uh, stop is really what I'd like to call sort of the apex, uh, the ground zero, really, of the Lenten pilgrimage. And that is, uh, as we know it by different names, Calvary, uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And today our reflection really takes us up to Calvary and to that place of the cross and to, uh, you know, such a ubiquitous image of our our faith. Um, and yet at the same time, um, and, and so many dimensions to, you know, what does the cross mean and, and what did it mean in the t- for Jesus himself and in the time of Jesus? And oh, okay, so we, we just had like a little uh, a little interruption of a little government interference, a little government a interference. Uh, at least they're not jamming the <laughs> the signal, jamming anyway. <laughs> the signal at all. So we are at the apex, the ground zero up uh, to Calvary today. And 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 we'll try to explore a number of different um, angles Uh, during the program today, but I I would suggest um, that if we want to offer a sort of a predominating or overarching question uh, for us and for our listeners today on this pilgrim stop, uh, and that is to kind of pick up on sort of one of the favorite songs we sing at this time Mm -hmm. of year is, you know, were you there? And and I think really perhaps the more um, predominating question is, where were you? Because as we heard uh, yesterday in uh, Matthew's uh, Passion narrative for uh, Palm Sunday of the Lord's Passion, you know, this journey up to Calvary, there are many players there, many figures in each of the uh, evangelists place different people on the path to Calvary uh, at the foot of the cross or watching elsewhere. And so I think for, as, as it is in so many uh, scripture narratives is, you know, where were you? Where were I? Mm. Where was I in that mm. scene? You know, was I the Simon? Was I weeping for the future? Uh, was I, uh, am I watching this crucifixion from afar? Have I uh, fled because it's just too hard? So as we explore uh, up to Calvary and the cross today, it's, I think it's good for us to sort of picture too, well, wh- where am I in in this particular scene. But I think, uh, you know, one of the things uh, we did last time, Bill, which was really great, is to, you know, tap into your experience of having mm-hmm. been to the Holy Land on those couple of occasions and and, and maybe just set the scene um, 
about your own experience when you were, you know, at Calvary and, and, and kind of help us sort of picture that scene before we start immersing ourselves in the, the meaning of it and the meaning of the cross. Well, our group uh, on pilgrimage, we followed the traditional way of the cross uh, through the streets of the old city of Jerusalem. And Father Ben, I can tell you that that was an amazing experience. And I know that it's just based upon a tradition, all the different steps that we recount uh, with the Stations of the Cross. But what struck me was as we processed, now there were probably 45 to 50 pilgrims, and we had a wooden cross, and we all took turns actually carrying that cross. But as we processed, uh, the city was still carrying on with everyday activity and commerce. And there were uh, honking horns, there were people yelling, there were people trying to sell things. And we processed our way through the city, and I thought about, well, when Jesus walked that path, it was the time of the Passover. There were thousands and thousands of those that had gathered there. And I thought about all of these noisy distractions, and yet for many, they had little knowledge of what was actually transpiring at that particular time in history. It just struck me that what Jesus was doing obviously had eternal uh, ramifications, and yet so many were completely unaware. Yeah, I think that's the, wow, that's a really great uh, uh, image, I think, to share with us, because, um, first of all, the the truth of it, um, one of the things I shared in a a homily that I uh, gave yesterday and uh, have on our uh, parish website is I I kind of focused a lot about Palm Sunday and the whole notion of the crowd, and especially mm-hmm. how uh, sort of anti-coronavirus that experience yes. was. But precisely picking up on this, this was Passover. This is, I describe it, it's kind of like Mardi Gras, uh, Times Square New Year's Eve, mm. and uh, the Daytona Bike Beach Week mm. all rolled into one. Wow. Just a mass of humanity. Mm. And at the moment that the Palm Procession, uh, at, as you're describing, you know, the whole business of Calvary, life is going on. Uh, and and a really at a fevered pitch because it is Passover. So you're right. There's all kind of people selling mm. and hawking things, and and so as as the entourage of Jesus making his way to Calvary, life is still going on. And and in some ways, as you say, this this is for all of eternity and for the salvation of all of creation, all of the world uh, unfolding in this moment. And yet the majority of people were oblivious uh, to it, had no idea what was going on, because quite frankly, there were more important things uh, that were going on. And as we'll explore a little bit later on, okay, uh, here comes another crucifixion. Mm. Uh, and, and for the people who were into commerce, uh, you know, the thought was probably, realistically, was this is another great moment for commerce. Yeah. I mean, gosh, we've got Passover where mm-hmm. we're selling all kind of wares and supplies, and crucifixions tended to get uh, to draw some kind of a crowd. Mm-hmm. They were a, uh, you know, you know, strange sort of way. They were public a pu- spectacle. They were a public spectacle, and so you've got all of this really uh, uh, more of the underside of humanity. Uh, going on at the same time, and and I think there's a lot in there uh, for us to reflect on too, is that how often um, 
you know, Christ, uh, this is one of the things we'll share a little bit later on, is, you know, Christ is continuing to bear the cross today. Mm. Uh, the blood of Christ uh, is still being shed consistently over and over and over again every single day and not just in the sacrifice of the Eucharist but every single day and in our world our own neighborhoods parts of the world and yet that is uh we're sort of oblivious to all of that you know Mm -hmm. going on so that's a great image of of you know as you walk that way with the pilgrims and carrying the cross uh, quite frankly a lot of people could have I guess you'd say could have cared less about it. Well, my expectation was everyone will be quiet as we're Mm -hmm. processing and show some kind of reverence. And that was exactly the opposite of what we experienced. And, you know, as I sit here now, Father Ben, I'm thinking about how everything that is happening right now across the whole world, there is the unseen movement of the spirit that continues to work on our behalf and to be mindful of that and at some point during this week very present to it i think what we're doing today is helping us to reach that place yeah you know one of the uh was looking ahead to uh the easter uh scriptures and trying to start to get some thoughts into my my head about uh, preaching for easter and one of the things that's standing out to me right now is the gospel passage for easter sunday from john's gospel um uses the phraseology after Mary and then Peter and the beloved disciple come and go from the tomb, is John loves to use that th- phrase that they did not yet understand. Mm. Uh, and, and I think uh, I'm attracted to that because, first of all, I, in reflecting on the reality we are living right now is, my gosh, if anybody understands this, they ought to be canonized tomorrow. <laughs> um, and yet you have to keep moving through yeah. it. Mm. And the resurrection itself wasn't a... It, it happened in a particular moment of God's, uh, you know, God's action. But what does this mean? Uh, even when you were, these people were in the middle of it, they, they did not yet understand. So it, it also, I think, to me, begins to say even now at this point of Holy Week is we think we understand because it's sort of the old record playing over and over again, but we don't. And yet we have to be part of it. We have to keep walking through it to mm. truly understand what is happening, what is the meaning of the cross, and what is the meaning of it for us now in our time. So it's okay to, I guess it's it's that sense of John invites us, always take the longer mm-hmm. view. But it's hard when you're in the moment, and there are so many things that need your attention now. Uh, but I think that's one of the things, again, we're challenged to is is in the longer view, we can... Uh, you know where where are the promptings of the Holy Spirit now? Um, so yeah, that the 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 and that's why it is. You, I think you had mentioned in our last show we were talking about you know prayer is always a process uh, up to Calvary. This is a process. Mm. This is mm. with many many different steps and twists and turns, uh, many things going on around us, and so we have to sort of take almost that patient view as well as as how does the spirit how is christ crucified and his blood shed for us how is that being revealed now to us but we are not probably going to understand this you know immediately you know father even those who were closest to jesus so we're thinking about the disciples obviously even the blessed mother herself jesus had told them 
what was going to transpire. He told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die, and yet they still did not quite understand. And I'm, and I'm thinking about all of us, those that uh, assume or claim to be close to Jesus because we are faithful believers. We don't understand at this time what's happening either. So what's really required of us is really a greater faith. Yeah, greater faith, which is always a greater patience. But but I think also one of the things we learn about well, faith in practice, but certainly from the scriptures as well, is that, uh, you know, again, faith is a process. And faith is this constantly unfolding truth, reality but we we have to stay engaged with it. Mm. We have to keep exploring mm. it. I think we mm. tend often, uh, I don't know, maybe by ease of default, that faith is some kind of like a package. Mm. You know, it's literally like a package. You receive the package and then you open it up. Or uh, the, the faith is that series of pages we call the Bible, or it's that series of pages we call the catechism, and somehow it's a quantifiable uh, entity that that you get and you you mm. receive, and if you just kind of make your way through the pages, then you know you you have faith. But faith is this unfolding reality mm. that uh, requires our constant engagement. And I would say, besides engagement, is our constant exploration. Mm-hmm. So here we are, you know, in Holy Week, Monday of Holy Week, and you know, for so many of our listeners, I am sure. Um, Okay, I've been here before. <laughs> yeah. Now, different this year because it's not unfolding like we're accustomed to it unfolding and all the different plans that we have as, as this week would normally be unfolding in our parish communities. So here we have this, this new reality that perhaps, again, is forcing us to say, I've got to take a look at Holy Week, and I've got to take a look at Calvary and the tomb and the Last Supper in a whole different way than I have before because it's being played out in a way that I've never had to experience before. So this whole business about, um, you know, our, our faith is what we're clinging to, and yet it is our faith is constantly something to keep exploring, mm. keep, uh, you know, like the, you know, the classic image of the diamond. you got to keep shifting it in your yeah. hand to see uh, where, it's, where it's shining right now. Well, we as Christians, we claim to know a lot perhaps about Christianity if we are faithful believers, but we only really know by experience. You know, I'm thinking about the whole idea. You know, I remember even as a child growing up uh, in a Catholic parish and hearing about we need to die to self. And, you know, ultimately we do have to die to self in that we have the actual experience of dying. So in the same sense, what we know, we all will ultimately know only by experience. And yet this week, Father, we have an opportunity to walk with Jesus on that path to his actual crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. Right. And we are, and I think that's the whole uh, reality of what we're doing is in our own way in every single age uh, that the church has been alive is we are still walking we're walking the way of the Lord, and it's a special kind of companionship uh, we have with him. We're, we're not just uh, innocent bystanders. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're really not, by faith, meant to be Simons of Cyrene, you know, mm-hmm. just oh, be dragged in for a mm-hmm. moment or two, uh, do your duty, and then back off somewhere, you know, 
thank goodness there was assignment of a Cyrene or there were some women. Uh, I like to remind people the daughters of Jerusalem were mm-hmm. more than likely sort of um, official mourners <laughs> mm-hmm. who often accompanied these uh, these processions to uh, crucifixion, and yet something different happens in the dynamic of meeting Jesus there. But again, these are people who drop in and out, mm-hmm. but but what we're called to is that, no, we, we go the whole way, uh, whatever that way means for us right now. So again, that, that Calvary uh, stands for us as really the, the ground zero uh, of it all. You know, when you study, um, study the... Uh, sort of philosophy of religion, history of religions, uh, sort of look at religions across the board. Most religious traditions uh, have, and this, maybe this is our listeners' $50 word for the day or $50 expression, um, all religions have this, what they call an axis mundi, which mm. literally means the center mm-hmm. of the world. And so every religion has some kind of a place, a location, that in a sense, everything about life in the world spins around this mm. this axis. For some religions, it is a physical point. Um, it is a physical location, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like everything about God and creation whirls around this uh, this axis. Well, for us uh, as Christians, for us as Catholics, this axis mundi, the whole understanding of how does the world even work, spins around this uh, this apex of the cross. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, if, if Paul would say to us, you know, if, 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 if not for the cross, then everything else is, you know, kind of a waste of waste of time. Now that's not to negate the resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, if Christ is not raised from the dead, yes, our faith is in vain, but the whole resurrection in itself gains its power from what happens at Calvary. That's what makes the resurrection, this phenomenal act of God. So, Calvary for us then is everything is spinning around literally. So, you know, picture the globe, you know, going around on its little axis there. Everything is spinning for us. And everything this week, uh, beginning yesterday with uh, Palm Sunday, is moving toward this experience of, of Good Friday that we were, you know, that we are walking through uh, again. Now, Father, the early Christians, you know, in the first century, people didn't walk around with crosses right around their necks. That wasn't something they, they wouldn't want to identify, in effect, with a form, one of the cruelest forms of execution that man has ever devised. So they didn't wear crosses or crucifixes, I assume. Right. I mean, and that's, that's I think, an interesting thing for us to, to consider is that, you know, for in early Christianity, first of all, there was really no um, what we might call common symbol of faith. And so it may seem a bit strange, as we've just been emphasizing now, you know, this, the cross, uh, Calvary is the access, the, the ground zero of, of the faith. Well, then why wasn't it, you know, the premier uh, symbol by which Christians could identify themselves, identify each mm. other? And it's precisely because what the cross was, what crucifixion was in reality. Mm. This was, this, you know, even as faith in the resurrection of God raising Jesus from the dead as as the triumph of God, there was still too much uh, pain, embarrassment, you know, and well after the crucifixion of Jesus, people continued to be yeah, uh, crucified, crucified, and they were crucified as, as criminals. Um, it was a symbol of shame. It also. was a symbol of shame. So uh, it takes a while for, including Paul, to come around to understanding really 
what is the meaning? You know, let's sure let's mm. run and embrace the resurrection, but we still have to figure out. We have to still figure out mm. what to do with that. Yeah. With the reality of how mm. uh, Jesus died. So for early Christians, um, initially early Christians identified one another, knew that you were. Uh, in contact with another Christian uh, by simply they made a declaration, Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. This was sort of the identifying Mm -hmm. code phrase, if you will. That's how you knew. It wasn't because you wore a cross or a crucifix or something else. It took several generations um, for the physical cross uh, to become that that universal uh, symbol of faith. And so in the catacombs, uh, particularly, you find a number of different kind of uh, crude, you know, drawings of the early Christians, and I'm sure when you were on your tours, perhaps too, you may have visited catacombs. And I recall seeing, you know, several uh, in Rome and in some of the other uh, places uh, scattered around. And so, uh, you see a lot of different sort of crude early symbols. But the primary symbol uh, for Christians in those first couple of centuries was the fish, mm-hmm. and, and we still sort of see that uh, today. And, and the reason that they used the image of the fish was it stood for a, a secret anagram of the Greek word ixthus, which mm-hmm. literally means uh, the, the letters stand for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So that was the earliest um, uh, depiction or symbol that was kind of a rallying symbol uh, for Christians. So it, the cross doesn't really become—it's mm, not even common um, until— it, it becomes first and foremost before it's a symbol, uh, a picture. It becomes the gesture. So mm. people making the sign of the mm. cross as a mm-hmm. gesture of faith doesn't really come until about the second century. Mm-hmm. So even then, it's beginning to be used as a way of marking oneself, but it is not being used in any kind of artistic form. And and I guess really, I think history shows that it's not until the time of the Emperor Constantine. Yeah. Um, that it becomes a well-established mm-hmm. symbol of faith. So I think that's it's a kind of an interesting curiosity, maybe, for people to hear that. But I think also what it does is it it reiterates the depth of degradation and humiliation that crucifixion really was. You know, we will perhaps reflect today that um, kind of in the course of our faith, we we uh, dress up the cross kind of nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we clean oh, it up. Yeah. Now, in you know, in our Latino Latina communities mm, yes. um, and some other cultures, they really cling to yeah. the sort of the gruesomeness of the cross. But for for many people, Western Europeans, North Americans, uh, we we a long time ago sort of cleaned up the cross. In fact, many of our churches sometimes uh, don't even have a crucifix as the major display mm. in the sanctuary. We have the risen Christ. Yeah. In fact, in my own church, yeah. uh, Immaculate Conception, we have. A cross, mm-hmm. but a large, you know, risen uh, Christ. Mm-hmm. So we've had a way of, I, I like to say, cleaning it up a little bit. Uh, we have images of Christ on the cross reigning as king, so he's dressed up in nice yep. uh, Sunday priest vestments and a crown and so forth. But the fact that the cross was not able to be embraced as a artistic symbol or even to make the sign of the cross over one's body, I think just keeps reminding us of, of the horrific brutality of and and the efficiency with which the Romans use this. And that also, again, Father, it kind of reinforces what we've been talking about. Last time we talked about prayer as a process. We're talking about faith, even as a people. Faith individually is a process, but also Christianity in general, the process of, of us 
I think led by the Spirit, really growing in our understanding of the significance of the cross. I know Paul preached, you know, in Corinthians, he talks about preaching the foolishness of the cross. We kind of get that. He kind of had a sense of it, but it took a couple of hundred years before we really had an appreciation for that symbol. Right, and again, that's a, a you know a great reminder of the development of theology, development of spirituality, and again, trying to root us in the painful truth of the cross so that I think mm. it, it makes its meaning that much more robust uh, for us. So it's not, it's something that we, you know, kind of pass over perhaps uh, at times lightly, even though we, you know, we start all of our prayers and end our prayers with uh, the sign of the cross. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot really, um, you know, now that we have, have obviously clearly for centuries embraced uh, the cross and the sign of the cross, I think it's uh, it's interesting just to reflect on the the shape of the cross itself. I mean, when you look at the cross, um, you know what does it uh, what does it stand for? Um, what does literally that shape mean? And when we make that shape on our bodies, you know what does that what what does that really signify? So it becomes really a a, a deep uh, deep symbol for us. But you know, before we talk about that, one of the interesting things too is you know in the English language we use the word cross mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of different uh, you know, different kind of ways. Um, you know, a parent says, don't get cross with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the boss comes to work in a foul mood and, you know, people around the office are saying, oh, he's cross today. Or, <laughs> or we use the expression, you better not cross that person. Um, you know, we use the word in uh, when we're kind of mixed up in communication is, oh, we're at cross purposes. So, we, you know, we kind of use that that word in a, in a variety of ways. And then even sometimes, you know, in our body language, we, you know, we cross our arms, we cross our legs, we, um, you know, all these different kind of gestures. And usually what they mean, both when you're referring to somebody being cross or we, you know, cross our arms and whatever is it communicates distance. Mm. Um, it communicates a lack of interest, mm. you know, crossing your arms as a kind of uh, defensive posture. Yeah. I mean, I don't how many times I've been in a conversation with somebody. And then as soon as you see the arms crossing, that's kind of it's, like, okay, that that's the end. Nothing else you're going to say or sign. is, is going to penetrate, <laughs> is a penetrate me. Um, I hope that doesn't happen during reconciliation. Well, hopefully <laughs> not. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, it sometimes happens during Sunday liturgy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen people in the distances of the, uh, uh, as the scriptures say at Calvary, looking on from afar. Yes. And sometimes their, you know, their arms are crossed. And I, I try not to read too much into that uh, body language. Especially but, during the homily. Yeah, right? especially a... during the homily. Well, there's the crossed arm. <laughs> and then the glance at the watches, <laughs> the other thing going on. But, you know, so what I think is interesting is in our English language and sort of body language, the language of cross uh, represents, again, this sense of distance or lack of interest. Mm. And yet the cross mm. for us as people of faith is about how close God has drawn to us, mm. uh, that God has, in the cross, Christ is immersed in sort of the worst of humanity yeah. right in the middle of it all mm. and is somehow going to mm. turn that that reality it is by the cross we have brought, been yeah. brought near uh, paul says about the blood of christ mm. it's through the shedding of the blood of christ we have been brought near so a term that we often use to mean sort of keeping people at a mm. distance God transforms into a symbol of bringing us close. You know, and we do everything possible in this secular world to avoid the cross, so to speak. 
uh, you know, to avoid pain, to avoid uh, trouble, to avoid, and yet Jesus, he immerses himself right in it. That's such a powerful message for us, especially at this time. Yes, immerses himself in it, and again, when we look at the shape of the cross, as Paul would say in many places so beautifully, just think literally about the cross. It is both up and down. It is literally fanning out in all directions, Mm -hmm. all encompassing. Um, And so the cross takes us higher. uh, It takes us deeper. It takes us east. It takes us west, north, and south. Um, in the darkness of the night, we you know, sort of look to the northern uh, skies and we see the northern cross. Uh, we turn to the south and we see the southern cross. Um, that's what the cross does, is it points us in all kinds of directions because in Christ immersing himself in our life, and it, lead, it leads to life. The cross leads to life because it, it, it goes everywhere. Um, and I think that's captured really in Paul's, uh, you know, the great Philippians hymn, which mm-hmm. portrays both this downward movement. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus did not claim equality uh, with God as something to be exploited, but he rather empties himself, taking the form of the slave. God is incarnated. God comes to earth. Jesus humbles himself, becomes obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. But because of that downward movement, Christ is exalted. Mm raised up. Well, we're with Father Ben Berinti, and we're continuing our Lenten pilgrimage. We are at the Calvary, and we'll continue after a short break. Stay with us. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, Melbourne, Vero Beach. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith. Just want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Father Ben Berinti, who is the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish. I Hooray. can imagine. I can imagine <laughs> that the parishioners at Immaculate Conception are about ready to put me on a cross. Anyway, we are on our Lenten pilgrimage, and Father Ben, we have found ourselves at the foot of Calvary. Right, and uh, we've been talking about. Uh, sort of the the growing understanding of the meaning of the cross, which we still uh, continue to unfold in our own spiritual lives today. Talked a little bit about uh, Paul, really, in that Philippians hymn, uh, showing us that the cross of Christ is up, it's down, it's east, mm-hmm. it's west. I mean, the cross goes all ways because the cross is the mm-hmm. uh, way. Um, and so uh, one of the things I'd like to share with our listeners, it's a favorite passage of mine, uh, I think it was in Lent last year where we were introduced uh, to Father Romano Guardini. I remember. A, uh, Wonderful and, uh, we, series we had. Yeah, we had a great series on prayer, and he is known as a, a theologian in, in many different kinds of ways, primarily liturgically. Um, he was a great influence uh, on uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict Sixteenth. In fact, when Pope Benedict wrote his uh, great treatise on the liturgy, he borrowed, stole (laughs) the same name, uh, the spirit of the liturgy from Mm. uh, Guardini. So a a great uh, great theological uh, mind and a great spiritual mind. But one of my favorite passages from all of his writing is he does a beautiful piece on the sign of the cross, Mm. literally making the sign of the cross, which again, for all of us, is such a common... um, a common thing that we do. It's probably the most common gesture in all of 
uh, all of our Catholic faith, and yet we also know uh, what a faulty uh, gesture it can be. Mm. Uh, I mean, I would swear that sometimes you watch people publicly making the sign of the cross, and you think they're swatting flies, yeah. you know, or, <laughs> or somehow the cross is only going west, Watched up and way. west, not down and east. You know, it's, it's a crazy kind of a thing, and it's such a perfunctory uh, symbol. And so I've often shared with people, and it's a little bit of an extended um, reflection, but it's just, to me, it's really powerful. And, and in these moments when um, you know, people are unable to be in our parish churches and to, to celebrate these rituals together. Uh, what I would want to say is, who, who, who are the bearers of the rituals of the church now? Yes, priests are still, you know, we're still celebrating Eucharist in our churches. I want to keep reminding everybody about that. The Mass is still, you know, going on. Um, and it is as painful for me as a priest. This morning I was, you know, in my empty church um, presiding at the Eucharist. So it's still going on, and so the rituals are still carrying forth. But but here's what I want to share with our listeners is the real responsibility now for so much of the ritual of the church resides with people, wherever they happen to be. Mm. And so as you are praying in your home, you know, do be engaging in these rituals as devoutly and as properly, you know, there's no room for half-baked gestures. Sometimes yeah. you can get away with that when you're in church on a weekday or on a, on a Sunday. But, but now, you know, all of the faithful are holding responsibility for carrying on the ritual of the church and to do it well. So I guess I would say is, you know, as a, as a priest and a pastor, uh, parishioners and the people of God are always looking to the priest. Well, you better do this well and, mm. you know, yeah. Do these rituals the right way, and yeah. well, make now, sure you perform. And make sure you, you you do these things well, and so I'm saying to everybody at home, do the rituals well, and it begins with this ubiquitous ritual of the mm. sign of the cross. And so here's what Father Guardini wrote back in 1956. He said, "When we cross ourselves, let it be with a real sign of the cross, instead of a small cramped gesture that gives no notion of its meaning." Let us make a large, unhurried sign from forehead to breast, from shoulder to shoulder, consciously feeling how it includes the whole of us, our thoughts, our attitudes, our body and soul, every part of us at once, how it consecrates and sanctifies us. Mm. That's the power of the sign mm. of the cross. So every time, I don't care what setting it is, we do it in some sort of a clipped perfunctory way, we are literally losing the actual power that that sign has as we are making it. So Father Guardini is saying, you know, even when we're just praying by our lonesome, that sign of the cross, big, bold, mm. slow, because truly, as Paul would tell us, that cross is encompassing. So when we begin and end a prayer with the sign of the cross, we dip our hand in you know, holy water when we would normally coming into the church or whatever. It's meant to be a sign that encompasses physically our entire body and soul. Why? Because the cross itself of Jesus Christ encompassed everything. So any minimal sign of the cross, any, any half-baked sign of the cross we reduce its power to consecrate us and to sanctify us. I, I think sometimes, Father, in our present circumstances, I'm afraid that uh, too many Catholic people are watching Mass rather than in their homes participating in the Mass, uh, specifically by doing what you just suggested. By the way, I understand Cardinal Ratzinger uh, wrote the book to actually honor, um, and you brought this out, I remember, during our series, 
So um, we're certainly reminded of that. But I've often thought about how when we're out at a restaurant and, you know, hopefully we're saying some kind of prayer before we partake of our food, to make a sign of the cross identifies us as Catholic Christians. You don't see that that often. I mean, to get people to pray anyway is a challenge. (laughs) But I think to make the sign of the cross, I think that's a real challenge for us as Catholics to self-identify in that way. Right. And it it is, I mean, that's what Father Guardini's trying to say, is that it it is this uh, powerful sign. And again, we we don't, you know, as Catholics, hopefully, we we don't make these gestures, whatever they happen to be, uh, offering a sign of peace, uh, striking our breasts during the confidior. Uh, We don't do these things because they're some kind of magic formula. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't do them because, oh, we're showing off to other people. Mm We engage in these symbolic actions because they're meant to really penetrate us, and they do serve as a witness. Yeah. You know, and not just, you know, again, the example, a great example of when we're out, uh, when we're able to do that, again, go out to eat, and we make, uh, you know, the sign of the cross. But even when we're gathered together as a faith community, you know, I empower you, you empower someone else when we engage in these rituals fully mm-hmm. and and, and every time somebody around us in a praying community in church on a Sunday is, again, doing them in a half-baked kind of way, we're diminishing our ability to, to pray together. Because, again, as you said, this, you know, the cross, is, it, it represents everything. I mean, think of the things when you make the sign of the cross. Uh, Guardini would tell us it's the holiest of all signs. Uh, and he says, make a large cross, taking time and thinking what you do. Mm. This, I believe, is always the challenge for Catholics when it comes to our ritual life and why uh, many people, including other Christians, often criticize Catholics for all the gesturing that we do. And, and there's some legitimacy to that um, that criticism and those correctives because often we don't do them thinking about what they mean. But when it comes to the cross— uh, especially in this Holy Week, uh, you know, make the cross large, taking time, thinking about what we do. Let it take in again our whole being, body, soul, mind. Father Gordini would say, take in our will, our thoughts, our feelings, you're doing and you're not doing. And he says, by signing it with the cross, we strengthen and consecrate the whole self in the strength of Christ in the name of the Trinity. I mean, so the, the, this sign of the cross is no small, perfunctory gesture at all. And so. I think doing it properly also, Father, can be contagious. You know, sometimes we just need those little reminders. We get lazy about it. Um, some things uh, become uh, way too common for us, and we lose a sense of the importance of them. But to see someone do it, now again, we don't want to be showy right. like the Pharisees standing <laughs> right. on the right. corner, yeah. Yeah. you know, trying to make everybody else feel bad about it. But I think we do it in such a way with reverence. I think it can be contagious. And again, it reminds us to be intentional about how we participate in the liturgy. Right. I mean, I think that's a great word, um, intentional. I mean, we're always meant to be growing in how intentional we are. We don't make the sign of the cross by accident. We don't make the sign of the cross, um, 
you know, just as, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot we have to, this is the way you start a prayer. Like you can't pray unless you've done this yeah. first. It, it has to be done intentionally. And, and here's another thing I've, I've often shared with people an experience I had when I was uh, the pastor of uh, the Church of the Nativity in Longwood. And I may have even talked about this on the in one of our programs before about prayer, but I was invited to come and, I don't know, speak to fifth and sixth graders in religious education uh, one evening, um, and I was supposed to talk about prayer. And, of course, uh, given the nature of the time for religious education, once everybody gets there, once they settle in, once you quiet <laughs> them down, and then the parents are honking the horn, it's time to pick them up, you get about 22 and a half minutes you know, out of the week for religious education. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm thinking to myself ahead of time, what the heck am I going to do with these poor kids, fifth and sixth graders, about prayer? With something so abstract. So also. abstract in 22 and a half minutes. So anyway, what I decided to do was we just simply spent that time engaged in some of the gestures of prayer. Mm. I didn't even talk about prayer itself. I said, mm. you know, for Catholics, prayer is a very meant to be a very physical reality. Mm -hmm. So let's just let's just work our way through some prayer gestures. So, you know, kneeling, a bowing, genuflecting, and of course a big one was the sign of the cross. And what I asked them to do is what we did for each of these gestures that we often use in liturgy and other forms of prayer. I just had the kids like, okay, let's just do it. All right. When I say we begin our prayer, let's make the sign of the cross. Well, you saw all manner of, you know, uh, unintentional uh, behavior. Do you the have same, an Orthodox child in there that did it the opposite? <laughs> well, you know, this, speaking of that, this is the funny thing is sometimes when I'm with young children and we're in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation and I... Uh, you know, say to them, let's begin with the sign of the cross. And they're looking at me and they're making the sign of the cross, but they're trying to like imitate in a, <laughs> in a mirror. And so it's going in the wrong, you know, direction. But it's just yeah. like, well, at least they made it. Or we'll, you know, we'll move on. Or maybe they're budding Orthodox. The, the Greeks would be happy. <laughs> the Greeks would be happy. The Byzantines would be thrilled that we're, you know, sort of by ritual here. But so anyway, my, my point is that, so we did all these different gestures kind of in a, just to, you know, whatever, just do it the way you do it. Then I led them through how to do these things with meaning. Mm -hmm. And my point about the sign of the cross is I just simply said, well, let's now, as Wardini would say, let's take our time. Father, son, make it big. Make the gesture big, slow and meaningful. Let's not try to rush things. And after we did this about five times, without me giving any instruction to them, but it wasn't giving them any teaching, or I just said, what did that feel? feel like. Mm. And I did the same for, you know, a proper bow, uh, genuflecting, uh, praying with your hands open and uplifted. And the, what they were able to communicate about how different it felt mm. without any, again, theologizing. Mm. Oh, you're supposed to feel this way. Oh, mm. the cross encompasses head to foot, mm. the entire universe. That theology, if you will, was coming out of their lips without any prompting because the power of the physical symbol itself, mm. when done well, it didn't need any explanation. Even these fifth and sixth graders could say, well, you know, Father Banner was just like all of me was praying mm. or God was like covering me from head to foot. I, I didn't even have to read Guardini to fifth and sixth graders. Sure. They knew it. So, again, it just reminds us of of the power of the shape of the cross. Um to, to move us, uh, to move us. And it's, it's not just, you know, how you get to the important part of the prayer you're about to say. Um, it, it really, it really moves our entire uh, 
our entire being. So it's one thing to, you know, talk about the, the sign of the cross. It's another thing to talk about, you know, in our faith journey now and where we are, particularly in our faith journey is, you know, what, what are the implications of the well, cross? Well, it's so important, Father, the sign of the cross. Again, we don't want to be pharisaical about it and say, well, if you don't make the sign of the cross, you're not hitting the send button or something. But at the same time, again, we are reminded of the beauty of that gesture and how it encompasses so much about our faith and reminds us of the beauty of our faith. Yeah, the beauty of our faith and and how, as Catholics, we are so fortunate that, and I mean this in the best uh, sense of the word, probably not a good expression to use, but I mean it in the best sense, that something like the cross, when embraced in its fullness, um, is a shorthand for so much. Mm. That's why it's a powerful symbol. Mm -hmm. It's the true meaning of symbol. There's truth here in this symbol. And when all else fails, when words fail, um, that gesture, so Mm. simple, yet is so profound. I mean, I, you know, standing over the bed of dying people and making the sign of the cross uh, on them. Um, When I make the sign of the cross on, uh, you know, infants uh, being baptized, you know, I claim you for Christ our Savior by the sign of his cross. I mean, such a simple gesture, but such a powerful, moving Mm. um, reality. And because of that, then, you know, Paul would say in this sense, you know, why, why are we making this external sign of the cross? Paul would say, because that thing is already embedded in you. It's embedded in us. You know, when we were marked with a sign of yeah. faith to begin this journey uh, of faith, it, was, it wasn't just a mark on a forehead mm-hmm. or a, a, a splash of oil. This, this is, it's in us. This is, this is who we mm-hmm. are. It's the pattern of our, our whole life. So we make the external gesture to remind us about mm. this cross is, is, is in us, our whole being is called to to live this, uh, you know, to live this life. Really begins at our baptism, and it begins at our baptism, you know. And so the Synoptic Gospels would say to us, you know, quoting Jesus, "If anyone wants to desires to follow me, you must take up your cross." Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now John, John has as he always does. We keep repeating this over and over again. Totally he has a different. completely different theology of the cross because for John. Only Jesus mm-hmm. can take up the cross. Yeah. Um, there's no Simon Serene in, in John's mm-hmm. uh, narrative. Jesus is the only one who can take up the cross. He is the only one who can lay down the cross. Mm-hmm. So a very different uh, perspective. And, of course, we hear from John on Good Friday. But very familiar to us is the admonition of Jesus, you know, to take up your cross and follow after me. And it's not just, you know, carrying some sort of physical burdens. It's about you know, this, this implanting this cross in our very way, it is our way of life. Mm. And perhaps now, um, no wonder the disciples rejected any notion of, of cross, because think about right now, the, the, the suffering and pain that so many people are enduring and no one is spared from this suffering, uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, taking up the cross um, is a is a challenging reality, and it's no wonder that we've often want to put it aside. And sometimes we put it aside again by just making perfunctory signs of the right, cross right. because we want to get to something else. But certainly in the synoptics, uh, Jesus is always telling us th- this is the only way. Um, it's the only way to be my disciple is to somehow not just take it up but participate in it fully. Uh, and that's what we're being asked to 
really consider. So we began, you know, Holy Week again. Each day we're going to further delve into the uh, Suffering Servant poems mm-hmm. of Isaiah and what the Suffering Servant of, of God is, is really going through. And we're, you know, we're sort of right there as well. So carrying our cross, Father, is so much more than, you know, I have a cantankerous boss or, you know, I've got uh, a lot of bills I'm not able to pay right now. There is so much more to that cross that Jesus is really inviting us to embrace here. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, uh, again, challenges of our way of thinking and living out our faith. And, uh, you know, and as, as I always kind of be reminded, as, as we talk about some of these, um, the meaning and symbols and theology and spirituality, it's never either or. Either, you know, it's this, you know, it's either John and only Jesus takes up his cross, or it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and mm-hmm. we take up our cross mm-hmm. as well. But I, I think— what you're alluding to is, I think, again, well, let's put the cross and the crucifixion into perspective. Something that I think that's very challenging often about our understanding or association of what does it mean to say, okay, uh, Father Ben, take up your cross. Bill, take up your cross. You know, in Jesus's day, the cross was not a symbol of pain and suffering. And that's often, I think, what we think. So mm-hmm. I take up my cross because you know, I'm, I'm struggling with illness right now. And it, it, it is these things. But in Jesus's day, the cross was quite simply, it was a symbol of death. Mm. It was a symbol of death. It was the standard Roman method of execution. And recall, you know, historically, the Romans uh, placed the crucified in high traffic areas, mm-hmm. uh, especially near roadways, uh, to serve as a deterrent to mm-hmm. crime and to rebellion. Only people who committed serious crimes and serious rebellion uh, were were crucified. So people would have witnessed um, the crucified around very commonly trod places. So here's one thing I think that escapes our imagination is during the time of Jesus's life and his movement about, it is no doubt that he and his disciples probably passed by crucified people. And then all of a sudden, one day Jesus says, Oh, I must be lifted up and I must be crucified. So we think that somehow the first glance, the first peak at crucifixion for Jesus and his followers is at Calvary. No, Mm -hmm. this was especially on the way to Jerusalem. So Mm -hmm. think about this for a moment. On the way to Jerusalem in the palm procession during Passover, when lots of people would have been coming and going, what a perfect place for the Romans to display the crucified. So as the Lord himself is about to go to his cross, they are passing by the brutality of the cross. So in taking up our cross, and especially in the synoptic gospels, it is about losing our life. It's about mm. dying. It's about dying to self. Mm. It's about uh, you know dying to the old self. Paul's language. It's about dying to the flesh. It's about dying to the world. So again, it doesn't mean that you and I can't embrace the cross when we are enduring pain and suffering. But ultimately, the cross is about, it's, it's about death. It's yeah. primary, not symbol, I guess, the primary reality, it was about death. And so when Jesus says you got to take up your cross, yes, it's about pain and suffering, but mostly um, it's about death, death to self, Romans 6, 6. It's the old self. It's about death to the flesh, Galatians uh, 5. It's death to the world. Um, and that's why Paul calls the cross, you know, many things, the stumbling block. And then he says that at the same time, 
I I boast about the cross. Yeah, um, it's the only thing I preach. I preach the cross. Well, like Saint Cyprian said, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. That's basically, and he's I think he preached that during the midst of a of an epidemic in his own diocese. He did, in fact. And so again, it 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 doesn't mean that uh, the cross that we cannot embrace it. You know, Lord, I'm going through this suffering and pain right now as we're experiencing this as people. And we look to the cross and cling to the cross because of that. But here's, I think, this is the this is the painful lesson we're learning now. To come up on the other end of this global pandemic, we are dying to many. People are literally dying, but we are dying to many things that we have taken for granted, uh, things that we have misused and misunderstood. And so the cross, as we face it coming uh, this Good Friday up to Calvary, it's the cross is death, um, but yet. God is going to transform that cross. Mm. I know we talk about, I remember Time Magazine, Father, you probably remember this also, on the front page of Time Magazine, it said, God is dead. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. And yet in reality, God did die. Absolutely. God did die. And I think many people in their own uh, spiritual journeys and faith journeys, when they meet something traumatic, the death of a loved one, or perhaps even so much the death of some, whatever it is, whatever and whoever we cherish, um, some, you know, by association for us, sometimes we feel as if God is dying mm. that, that day because the God we had placed our hope in is somehow, uh, you know, we say the Psalm that Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But in reality, yes, God died so that the gateway to the fullness of life could come. So I think, again, I just encourage us as we cling to the cross, look to the cross, especially as we make our way to Good Friday, when we, you know, will unfortunately not be able to gather as a people in, I think, one of the most moving rituals in all of Catholicism, and that is the veneration of the cross, the cross. on Good Friday. Mm. My goodness. Um, and I have never been one, as my parishioners will know, it's one of those things that I don't make it a ritual of convenience or, oh, my gosh, let's speed this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my predecessors in a previous parish used to leave the adoration, veneration of the cross until after the service was over, mm. uh, which technically, according to the rubrics, you can do this. Uh, but the reason, quite frankly, that he did it was because it took too much time. And so he wanted to get through the Good Friday service. And then, hey, whoever wants to come and venerate, go ahead and venerate. To me, the power of seeing each other and me watching people coming and the, oh my gosh, the depth of emotion mm. and commitment that's in their eyes and their bodies when they embrace that, I am re- <laughs> I'm really going to miss that. Um, that that's what we're looking toward um, you know, as we moved. But it's embracing death, and right now, every one of us, there are many things that are dying around us. Um, that we have to pass through in order to come. The Son of Man must be lifted up to draw all people to himself. Father, so we have found ourselves today at Calvary, the foot of the cross. Tomorrow we will be concluding our Lenten pilgrimage. So where do we go from the foot of the cross? Well, the foot of the cross, you know, each of the, again, the evangelists kind of wrap up the, 
the tale of, of Calvary in a variety of different ways, but they all end up eventually um, at the tomb. Mm. And that's where our pilgrimage is, is mm. going to end, our Lenten pilgrimage. Um, we of course, know what's on the other side. But one of the things I'm going to share uh, with our listeners tomorrow is in order to really embrace uh, the resurrection, we need to be seated outside of that tomb. It is a time of, it's a holding pattern. It's a, it's a liminal, it's a threshold pattern. Don't cross too quickly over it to run. And I think very much so, I believe we are right now living in an extended period of time outside the tomb and quite frankly putting ourselves in the position of Mary and the other women uh, who were there and stationed themselves outside of the tomb who had no idea what if anything was even going to happen no matter what Jesus had already taught them they had no idea what was going to happen what what is and I believe right now we are literally in a position too. We're so much in our life. We don't know what is going to happen. So it's a painful place to be. It's a place of mourning and grief, but it's a place that I'll take us uh, tomorrow in our uh, concluding program. I think our faith is being tested uh, in in a very unusual way for many of us. Uh, We've never experienced anything like this for just about probably 99% of us in our whole lifetime. It's a beautiful time during this whole week, Holy Week, really, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Father, I'm really looking forward to your reflection on being uh, at the tomb and some things that we can consider as the Spirit continues to lead us. Can you offer our prayer with us, Father? Yes, let's uh, conclude our time with the Passionate Pilgrim's Prayer. God of the journey, create in each of us the heart of a pilgrim and give us the courage to set out on this Lenten pilgrimage toward Calvary and the tomb. You call us, Lord, to leave familiar things in our comfort zone, and so God the Father who created us, guide our footsteps. God the Son, give us a share in your passion, and God the Holy Spirit, sanctify us, lead us on this journey, and may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you wherever you may go. Father Ben Barinti, pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Melbourne Beach, thanks for joining us again. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, Melbourne, Vero Beach.